be seated today. I'm so glad uh, that you're here as we are near the end of this series we started a few weeks ago called Overwhelm. Next week will be the last part in the series. Uh, we're going to be sharing this uh, in this series, Overwhelmed, on Mother's Day. So uh, please come next week, bring your mom, moms, bring your kids. Uh, it'll be a great day. We'll, we'll celebrate with you and celebrate the incredible ladies that God has put in all our life. Uh, I don't know if you, you probably wouldn't know this. I happened to look it up yesterday. The five most often used words uh, to, to, to describe what it means to be overwhelmed. Here they are. Blown away. How many of you have ever been blown away? Man, dude, that blew me away, right? Yeah, I've been blown away. Whelmed. I don't know how that one's commonly used. I've never heard of it. How you feeling? Man, I'm whelmed. I'm just whelmed. Underwhelmed. I'm not sure how that works because it's not over, it's under. Maybe that's like how we use the word literally, which almost never means literally anymore. You know, my head literally fell off. Really? It literally <laughs> fell off? How'd you get it back on? I know you know this one. Drinking from a fire hose. You heard that? How many of you heard that one? Drinking from a fire hose. Good, two of you. Excellent. I'm so glad. I can't give you the fifth one in church. So let me just tell you about that. It wouldn't be appropriate today. But it feels like to me that our language is mirroring our feelings. We oftentimes feel overwhelmed, and so as our language evolves, it seems to me like our language is getting more extreme. So uh, maybe you've heard a, a phrase like this, if you ever get caught somewhere with somebody who talks too much, you might say, man, that guy blew my face off, <laughs> right? We don't say he talked my face off, we say he blew my face off, blew my head off. Now, if you're not from the South, and, uh, and uh, I want our Hispanic uh, ministry is with us in this service, you'll just have to forgive us for a few minutes, we're going to talk Southern, and so, which isn't entirely English, I need to warn you, if you're from outside the South or raised outside, you won't even understand half what we're about to say. But, but I did look up some phrases that are common in the South for overwhelmed. I just want to know how many of you have heard of these. Here's one. Like walking into a buzzsaw. Come on. Come on. Lift it up. You heard that? Right? I mean like walking straight into a buzzsaw. So you're like, I don't even know what a buzzsaw is. Well, doesn't matter. It's like walking into one. Here's one. Sick as a dog. Huh? Hey, hey, how, how, how's uh, Chris, Chris doing? He's sick as a dog. Sick as a dog. Right? Kind of got a wag when you do it. Here's another one. Hog wild. Come on. Do you know what that is? Overwhelmed with excitement. I don't know what that has to do with a hog. I have no idea. I don't have much experience with hogs, but hog wild. Here's, here's another. Come on. Hissy fit. How many of you know what a hissy fit is? Just got right in the middle of Walmart and threw a hissy fit. A hissy fit. Huh? Okay, here's another one. Conniption. Uh, this is deep. You got to go deep to get a conniption. You know what a conniption is? It's like a hissy fit, but it's with more body language. It's a conniption. Conniption. It's like you're contorting your body. Look, that guy's just got it in a conniption. 
I don't know how in the world our Spanish folks are translating this. God bless you. I'm so sorry. Here, here's one. Getting on my last nerve. I'm so glad we got out of there. That lady was getting on my last nerve. You only got one left. God bless you. Here's another. How many of your mom ever said this to you? Your face is going to freeze like that. Huh? You better uncross your eyes. They're going to stick. Your face is going to freeze like that. Right? All right. Now let's try to go back to English. Whatever you call it, this series has resonated with people. Because for whatever reason, we relate to the reality that we live under constant pressure. And unfortunately, it seems to be accepted as a normal state of life. So we've talked about being overwhelmed by discouragement, by life, by fear, by failure. And, 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 and these things might be what we're overwhelmed by. But what I want to talk about today is why are we overwhelmed? Not what are we overwhelmed by, but why are we overwhelmed? So why are we overwhelmed? Here's the thought. If you're underwhelmed by Jesus, you will be overwhelmed by something else. Now that's the thought of the whole day. God bless you. You can go. Let me unpack it for a minute to be fair. If you're underwhelmed by Jesus, you are going to be overwhelmed by something else. And you want to know why? Because life is always looking for a way to make Jesus smaller than he is and to make your problems bigger than they are. But truth starts with Jesus. If you get Jesus wrong, you're going to get a lot of other stuff wrong. So this morning what I want to do is I want to give you four reasons that you should be overwhelmed by Jesus, not underwhelmed by him. And then I want to give you um, three things to do when you're overwhelmed. So look at Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 20. Paul the Apostle wrote this book, actually a letter to the uh, church, um, to the Colossians. He wrote it from prison. He was trying to encourage the church and trying to correct some wrong beliefs that they had. Some people think that the part of the book that I'm going to read was actually a song that uh, the, the Colossian church and other churches that were, knew about the letter would sing. And when you, when you hear this stretch of scripture, I think that will, it'll make sense. Colossians 1, 15. The Son, we're talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. In other words, people who say God's invisible and we don't know what he's like have never looked into Jesus' life because Jesus ex is exactly like the Father. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The first one. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and this is the song we sang this morning, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, 
so that in everything he might have supremacy. He is supreme. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now the question this morning is, is that enough for you? That's the question. Is that enough for you? For some of the people who met Jesus when he walked the earth, it was enough for them. Mark 7, 37 says, people were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Mark 9, 15, as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. So just inside your own heart this morning, try to, try to evaluate yourself. Are you in awe of Jesus? Or what is your present awe level of him? Is it just another truth or just another reality or just another thought? Or is there a sense of wonder and awe inside your life about this person Jesus? Let me give you this morning four reasons to be overwhelmed by Jesus from Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Number one, his age. Jesus is old. Verse 16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven, earth, visible, invisible, so all things have been created through him. He was there when it all started. He's old. He was there at the beginning. Not only was he present, he was part of it. He created everything that you see. Jesus was present when the universe was being formed and the stars flung in the sky and it was by him and through him they were created. He's not a fad. He's not an invention. He didn't just show up one day. He's been around and he stood the test of time. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say. Nobody in this room believes in millennials and Gen Y and the younger generation more than I do. But I want to say something to you this morning and I want you to hear it in my context. I don't need to seek out a 15-year-old or a 25-year-old to figure out how to live life. I need you to show me how to use my cell phone. I need you to teach me how algorithms work. I need you to talk to me about AI permeation and the future technology. But when I need to know how to live life, I need somebody older. I need somebody who's been around for a while. I don't know if you've been following this story. The, the lady who used to play on um, King of Queens got immersed in the Church of Scientology. And she's come out and got away from it. And you hear these exit stories now about all the stuff that's going on there. I just happened to read some of those stories. And I learned that the Church of Scientology was founded in 1954. I need something a little older than that. I need something that's been around a little longer than 1954. I need someone that walked with my mom and walked with my grandmother and walked with my great-great-grandfather and walked with Moses and walked with Abraham and walked with Paul and walked with Matthew and was there at the beginning. I need somebody that's been around. 
If he can create everything you see in this world, then I believe he can create a solution if that's what's needed to whatever problem you have today. Why should you be overwhelmed by Jesus? Because he's old. Number two, because of his knowledge and wisdom. Verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness, not some of it, not part of it, not most of it, but all of it, to dwell in him. You can be overwhelmed by Jesus because all the fullness of God is in him. He knows everything and he knows how to do everything. When I have a problem, I don't need someone who's going to guess. Right? He doesn't need to refer to any book because he is the book. I don't need someone who has to Google it. I can Google it. I need somebody who knows more than Google. I need someone who won't just give me information for my mind, but who can communicate to my spirit. That's what I need. And the Bible says that all the fullness of God dwells in him. If you're discontent in, in life, it's because you're discontent with Jesus. All the fullness of God is in Jesus. Why should you be overwhelmed? Because of his knowledge and his wisdom. Number three, why should you be overwhelmed by Jesus? Because of his future. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. He's the first one that came back from the dead. That's what that means. So that in everything he might have supremacy. Jesus has as bright a future as it gets. He's never going to die because he already has and that didn't work. I don't need to be giving my whole life to someone. I don't need to be putting all my trust and sink all my emotions and all my resources and all my life to somebody and then they up and die. And then it's over. It must be a terrible thing to go to your Savior's funeral. In 632 when Muhammad died. Must have been a sad day for Muslims. I don't want to serve someone who dies before I do. He has a great future. I don't need someone who's going to beat me down, but who will walk through the valley of the shadow of death with me. One day, I'm going to breathe my last breath, and I need somebody who's been through death to reach out and touch my hand and walk me through and say, it's going to be just fine. This wasn't all there was to it anyway. Jesus is eternal. Boy, I, I hope you're getting this. I hope you're going to be overwhelmed today. You can't leave underwhelmed by Jesus today. Last one, number four. Why should you be overwhelmed by Jesus? Because of his impact on people. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is Jesus' most magnificent work 
reconciling the world to himself by making peace with the world through his blood on the cross. Now, if you're going to be overwhelmed by somebody, it's, it's okay to check their track record. How's that going? Well, all over the New Testament, we see blind people who can see and deaf people who can hear and lame people who can walk. And Lazarus comes back from the dead. And when the religious leaders asked the apostle Peter how that miracle happened, here's the answer he gave them in Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And, and maybe if you're a little on the skeptical side this morning, you say, yeah, but that's all in the Bible. That's thousands of years ago. What about since then? Not long ago, I had the pleasure of sitting and listening to a missionary from Malawi named John Easter. And he told us about a young man he met named Riaz. Riaz came with two friends from Pakistan to their Bible college to earn their master's degree so that they may be sent out and be church planners. Riaz, after graduating, went deep into Pakistan into a very volatile area to plant a church. He walked by foot into the village. He went and met with the village chief, and he rented a little lean-to type building. And as he rented that building and lived there and started meeting with people there, he just started loving on the community and reaching out and sharing the gospel where he could. And he used wisdom because he was in a very volatile area. But one by one, people's lives just began to change. And an incredible miracle happened. In 18 months, over 200 people had given their life to Christ in a village that either had never had a church maybe in history or had not had one in generations. Shortly after that, a violent mob stormed the building on a Sunday morning. Imagine this happening. They, they pushed through the crowd. They went straight to the pulpit. And they grabbed Riaz. And they drug him out into the street where a larger mob was waiting. And they beat him down. Just beat the daylights out of him. They wanted to humiliate him. They wanted to embarrass him. They wanted to hurt him, and they wanted to wreck that little church. And, and for a little while, at least, it worked. They scattered everywhere. And hours went by, and he was lying out in the road. And a couple of the men from the church came back after things cooled off, and he was still breathing. They picked him up, and one of the men carried him on their shoulder. And they took him out of the village where his family was held up in a safe house, protected from the mob. And they put his, him, his wife, and children on a train and sent them back to where they were trained back home. And, and Riaz was in the hospital for 60 days. And slowly he began to heal and recover and get better. And one week after Riaz was released, he got his wife, he got his children, he got back on a train, and he headed right back to that village. And he walked back into that village with his wife and his children. He walked back to that church. He went back to the work that God had called him to. And he's still there to this day. 
Why should you be overwhelmed by Jesus? Because of the impact he has on people's lives. I shared last week with you about one of my ministry heroes, Bill Bright. And this story comes from his ministry. Somewhere in the early 2000s, best I can tell, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ sent uh, film teams. These were missionary teams that they sent all over the world with a film called The Jesus, the Jesus Film. And it was just a movie about Jesus' life. And so they would go all over the place. They would go to villages and tie bed sheets to trees. And they would project this movie up on the sheet in the night in the villages and show this film about Jesus' life. And people would respond and accept Christ. And they would take the Christians that were there after that film and they would plant a church in that town. And they would uh, train up leaders and move on to the next village. Well, there was a, um, a tribe called the Malto tribe that lives in northern India. They were very resistant to the gospel. They worshiped Satan. They worshiped hundreds of gods. And one of the Jesus film team approached the Malto tribe and got so much pushback that the Jesus film team just worked around them because it was too much hostility. A few days later, a 16-year-old girl in one of the Malto village villages died and so they did everything they could do to save her they couldn't save her so they prepared her for her funeral they moved her to the location of her funeral the village came out to um, share in the funeral and as they started to do the funeral that girl sat up and started talking And they asked her, they said, oh, so you weren't really dead, you, you were just really sick and now you've recovered. And she said, I was dead. But while I was dead, God told me I had to come back and I had to tell you who the real God was. Here's what she said, I've got seven days to tell you and then I'm going to go to heaven. She told them the Jesus film teams, the people rolling around showing the movie, they can tell you about who the real God was. So she recovered, went and found one of the Jesus film teams and told them her story. And for the next week, she went with them from Malto tribe village to village to village to village. And before they'd show the film, she'd stand up and share her testimony. She'd say, I was dead, and when I was dead, the real God told me that this team can tell you who the real God is. Watch this movie, and God brought me back to the dead to tell you this. And for an entire week, every time she went to a village, she went and gave her testimony first. They showed the film, and hundreds of people accepted Christ. And in seven days, although she looked healthy, she fell back dead. She went to heaven. But in the aftermath of that week, hundreds of people in the Malto tribes had found Christ and six churches had been planted. Why should you be overwhelmed by Jesus? Because of his impact on people. He makes an incredible impact 
on people. I, look, we could tell stories today till we starve to death. How many of you were not raised in a Christian home, but you found Jesus? How many of you? Lift your hand up. Just lift it up high, and everybody look around. Why should you be overwhelmed by Jesus? Look around you. Because of the impact that he has on people. Who else delivers alcoholics and drug addicts? And who else sets people free from crime? Who else can fill up church after church from America to South Korea to Australia? He's addressed some of the most difficult situations in life. And he's brought absolute hope and peace and faith. He turned water into wine and he walked on water and, and he commanded the wind and waves to be still. And when he did, the disciples said, what kind of man is this? He died on the cross and when he did, the sun went out. And he laid in the grave for three days and on Easter Sunday morning he walked out. And he still lives and he still saves and he's still making an impact. Why should you be overwhelmed by Jesus? Because he's changing millions of people's lives all over the world. The stories just keep coming in. And by the way, he didn't start last week. He's been doing it for centuries. So what do you do when you're overwhelmed? If you want to take some notes, let me give you three things. Because the truth is, there are moments in everybody's life in this room when we're just flat, underwhelmed by Jesus. And, and therefore, overwhelmed by something else. So what do you do when that happens? Number one, pray. <laughs> and look, I promise you, I'm just going to go and guarantee you something. When you're underwhelmed by Jesus and overwhelmed by something else, that's the moment you feel least like praying. You just don't want to pray. It doesn't feel real. You, you ever, you've heard the phrase, all my prayers keep hitting the ceiling. They're not going anywhere. It doesn't feel like anybody's listening. Nothing's really happening. Maybe you say, I don't know what to say. Let me give you my favorite verse on prayer, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Look at this. Look at this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I remember when I was in college, I learned this. I think, I think it was the first time I learned it. I, I, I had, you know, uh, I wish college professors would all get together and plan when they're going to have stuff due. And it wouldn't all be due the same day. But you know they don't do that. I don't even think they talk. Because like all my papers and projects and tests and midterm final, all that stuff was due within a few days. And of course, of course I didn't prepare like I should. I'll just go ahead and tell you. Yes, yes, I wasn't ready. And I was absolutely overwhelmed. And I can remember just thinking, you know, I wonder, I wonder if these are the kind of things that Jesus cares about. Like, I wonder if this is the kind of stuff that I didn't do a very good job getting ready, so now I just got to suffer because I'm here. Or if Jesus actually cares about this little stuff too, or he just only wants to know about the bigger stuff. I didn't know. I'd only been a Christian for maybe about 
three, three years. And I can remember turning to God and starting to pray and saying, Lord, I, I'm not ready. <laughs> so if you could, you know, stop time or part a Red Sea, you know, something little. Run some interference, you know, make my professors forget about me. I don't know. Is there anything you can do here? Because I'm in a mess. And, uh, and he didn't do any of that. Uh, he didn't change any of that. Uh, he didn't let me off the hook at all. But he did do something inside me. As I prayed through that day and the next couple days, I, I felt an unusual peace that I don't know I'd ever known quite like that in such hard times, such stressful times. And, and to this day, it was one of the most peaceful weeks of my entire college career. So peaceful. I remember. I have such fond memories of that week. And I had no reason to. Because there was nothing going on on the outside that made it that way. But there's a lot of stuff going on on the inside that made it that way. And that's where I learned that Jesus cares about everything in my life. And that's where I learned that I can turn to him at any point. And that's when I learned it doesn't even need to be when I've done something right. It can be when I've done something wrong. It doesn't matter. I can turn to him with anything in any time. And now my tendency when I get in a jam is to turn to him, whether I caused it or not, is to just turn to him and say, God, can you help me? I find myself now in overwhelming situations sort of slipping away and turning to him. And, and here's the thing. It really doesn't matter what you say. Maybe you think, well, I would pray, but I don't know what to say. Then say that. Then say, Jesus, here I am, and I'm just overwhelmed, and I don't know what to say. You know what that's called? Prayer. That's prayer. So can I encourage you? Can I just encourage you? It's okay to pray ugly prayers. Like really ugly prayers. Like I've prayed prayers like, God, why won't you do something? God, why, why, why? I've prayed prayers where I question God. God, if you're real, like why, why can't I reconcile what I think is true about you and what I see here? Why can't I make them meet? I'm frustrated. Do something. Help me. Change me. Change them. Change us. Change something. But you know what that's called? prayer it doesn't matter how ugly it is you're still praying you don't have to pray perfect you don't have to say the right thing man we've got a bible filled with ugly prayers we always highlight the pretty ones i want a series on ugly prayers that's what we need i'm going to do a series on ugly prayers you know jeremiah is saying why did you do this to me god honest ugly the point is, you're still praying. Here's the second thing. Praise. When we start praising God and worshiping Him, our perspective changes. D do me a favor. Hold your hands out like this in front of you. And I want you to look down at them. I mean, look at the little creases on your hands. and Just look down. Look deep at them for a minute. Just stare at them for a minute. Now I want you to look up here. What just happened? Your perspective just changed. It went from right here 
out here. And that's what happens when you begin to praise God. You begin to get your eyes zeroed in, focused on the problem, off the problem, and you begin to look up. You begin to see something bigger than what you're blinded by. When we least feel like worshiping God is when we need it the most. And you know what? I think it might be when God likes it the most. Because it's sacrificial. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. Pray and praise. And your perspective will start to change. Here's the last one, three. And proclaim. Sometimes you just have to proclaim the greatness of God over your life. Sometimes you have to talk to your own soul. Don't act like you don't talk to yourself. You know you talk to yourself. Since you're going to talk to yourself anyway, you can at least get better at doing it. Right? So learn to say the right things instead of the, you know, you're so dumb and why do, and you're never going to get over this and you always and you never and all this stuff. How about proclaiming God's truth over your life? How about proclaiming what he says about you over, the, over your life? Let me tell you the difference between prayer and proclaiming. Prayer is when you tell God about your feelings. Proclaiming is when you tell your feelings about your God. And that's what you need to do sometimes is you need to say, now look at here, feelings. Now listen to me. I know you feel bad and you're probably going to feel bad after I'm done, but I'm going anyway. And you proclaim the greatness of God over your life. Let me say it a different way. Things get complicated and overwhelming and sometimes you need to speak the simplicity of Jesus over the complexity of your problem. Because Jesus is simple. Prayer, praise, and proclamation. Prayer, God, here I am. You know where I'm at. Here's what's going on. Here's how I feel. Here's what's happening. Praise, but Lord, you, you are great and you are mighty. And I look up and I lift my voice to you today. Proclamation. Come on, soul. God is great. And you got to get with him. Come on, soul. God is great and he's almighty and all the fullness of God dwells in him. I declare to my soul today that Jesus is worth being overwhelmed by because all the fullness of God lives inside him. I, I, I want to ask the worship team if you would go ahead and join me. Most of you probably don't know, didn't know, Gilbert Blankenship. Some of you know him. How many, how many of you knew Gilbert Blankenship? How many of you? Maybe, maybe a third. Gilbert Blankenship uh, passed away this last week, and uh, we went and shared the funeral with his family. He was 92 years old, and uh, he was like a cricket. I mean, at 92, he would pep around. And, and, and he was an usher a lot of times. He had, he's been a little bit sick the last several months of his life, but uh, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, he was still ushering at 90. But we'd say, Gilbert, why don't you usher down here on the floor? You don't need to be going up and down. No, no, no. 
I'm fine. And he ushered right here in this corner. He come up down the stairs. Gilbert, 90 years old. Bam, bam, bam. Just run laps around him. And, and uh, Gilbert's daughters told me when we were at the funeral. Now I want you to listen to this. 92 years old. And they said, I don't have one memory in my entire life of my dad complaining. I don't have one memory. Oh man, that convicts me. I don't have one memory. I've never heard a complaint out of his mouth. There's plenty to complain about. But he never did. He lived with joy. He lived with enthusiasm and optimism and faith. He was positive and he loved God. And he just had a, he had a, he had a pep about him. Something, something inside his spirit that was always up. And as we were sitting there at the funeral and his, his daughter, one of his daughters was sharing with me, it just dawned on me. I said, you know what's happened? She said, what? I said, his body has finally come into agreement with his spirit. His body is now in full joy, full peace, and his body has now come into agreement with his spirit. Well, that's what happens when you proclaim to your soul. You say, soul, come into agreement with God. Come into agreement with his word. Come into agreement with what's true. Come into agreement with the fullness of God that dwells in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, your body might lag behind a little while, but if you'll come into agreement, the day's coming when your body's going to catch up. Come into agreement. So we sang this song a few minutes ago, You Hold It All. We're going to end this service in a little bit different way. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to sing the whole song again. The whole thing. I've been praying for you. I've been praying that as we stand and sing, you'd be overwhelmed by Jesus. I've been praying that whatever it is that's been overwhelming you, and whatever fear or valley or darkness or sickness or tragedy or trial, I've been praying for you that it would shrink as you begin to sing. That Jesus would get bigger to you. That you'd get a bigger picture. One verse I didn't really cover out of Colossians chapter 1. I didn't have a point from it. But boy, I think this song is the point. Colossians 1.17 He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. What I think you and I need more than anything else is just an encounter with Jesus. Just an encounter with Him. And He gets bigger and He gets clearer and we see Him in more truth and more purity. And that shining light just burns over our life. And those other things just begin to drown and to fall away. We need a revelation of Jesus. All the fullness of God dwells in Him. 
There's no more of God to be had than what's in Jesus. He's got it all. So this morning, would you just stand with me? And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. And as our prayer team's coming, I, I want to just read through the words for a minute. Can you go ahead and put them on the screen? This is what we're going to sing. From the highest of mountains to the depths of the sea, from the planets in motion to the breath that we breathe, from the womb of the barren to the rich and the poor, to the dreams of the orphan, every heartbeat is yours. You hold it all. You hold it all. Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to sing the whole song. And at any point as we're singing, if you need prayer, I want you just to come right to one of the prayer team and let them pray for you. And prayer team, we're just going to worship like everybody else. And what I just want you to do in this place is, I, may, you know what? Maybe you need to pray. God, I feel like this. Maybe you need to praise. Maybe you need your, your vision lifted up. Maybe you need to proclaim to your own soul. This might be the way it is, but this is not the way it's going to be. Because God has a different answer. But whatever you need, would you, just, would you just lift your hands up for a minute? Lord, today we just lift our hands up to you. We lift our voices now. We lift our hearts and our minds. And as we begin to sing this song, Lord, we're going to worship you. We're going to praise you. And we want a revelation of Jesus this morning. Come on and just begin to ask. If you need to pray, pray. If you need to praise, praise. If you need to proclaim, proclaim. And you just give it to him. To the depths of the sea. Come on and let's just sing it together. From the planet in motion. To the breath that we this place